Good morning. Today's reading is from Romans 14, 1 through 8. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live to the Lord, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Good morning. What I wanted to do um, real briefly, if, if those of you who are vegetarians, if you could raise your hand, we just wanted to uh, pray over you as our weaker brothers and sisters and uh, really spend some time asking God for healing upon you. Now the passage obviously speaks to that and all the vegetarians get turned up and what's going on. And the, uh, the big picture of Romans 14 this morning is, is really again in the context of Paul really getting after us as, as followers of Jesus Christ. That as we live out the life of Christ, as Christ lives out his life through us, that we would be expressing agape love to one another, agape self-sacrificial giving our lives over, our lives do not belong to ourselves, but to Christ, and that we're continually going, Lord, help us to love each other. Especially, especially in the body of believers. Because, boy, we uh, sometimes really get on each other. Really have expectations of one another where we are judgmental and critical. And so the call upon the body of Christ is to move towards each other in love. And what was happening in the time is, out of Leviticus 11, was all of these, uh, all of these historical uh, Jewish uh, laws about what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat. And there was a lot of uh, law that was going on about the type of meat that they were able to eat. And so you have, you have new Jewish Christians, you have new Gentile Christians trying to come together in Rome and to to learn to love God together. And yet you have these dietary laws that have existed for a long time. And so it was a real struggle that was going on in the middle of the camp, so to speak. And there was issues of, of these meats that were being uh, sacrificed to idols. And we see that in Corinthians 8. And so the, the wrestling was, wait a second, these meats are being used for pagan ritual and now people are eating them and it seems like we're agreeing we agree with the pagan ritual going on. And so there was all kinds of issue going around with diet and what was going on. 
And it was very serious for some Jews, especially who have been raised up in this tradition. I was, uh, I was in Jerusalem. Last time I took a group to Jerusalem was uh, 99. And uh, we took a bunch of college students. And so <laughs> my wife and I one morning, it was a free morning, and so we decided to go uh, over to the King David Hotel, just a beautiful hotel. It overlooks this wonderful valley, and, and it has a lot of historical interest there. But it's just a cool spot. So we went there to go have breakfast out on the patio of the King David. And, uh, and so I asked, I go, do you, do you have omelets? Do you make omelets here? And like, yeah, we do. We make omelets. I'm all wonderful. And uh, again, I hadn't had my first cup of coffee yet, so I still wasn't thinking. And said, hey, I would love a, uh, I'd love a ham and cheese omelet, please. And I didn't get it. I mean, she was just dead silent, our waitress. And uh, finally, my wife saw Rod. No ham, no ham. And I'm just like, I'll just have an omelet. Eggs, just eggs. <laughs> Nothing else. You know, and it just, I mean, still today, the kosher tradition. And uh, I think it was serious, though. And you go, okay, how do we end up loving each other in the middle of this environment uh, where we have struggles and things that are going on? The big picture that we're called to love, and the bigger picture that Paul's going to point out here, I think, in in Romans 14, is that we are arguing over the unessentials. We're arguing over what have become Christian taboos. And we're missing the main point of the love of Christ, that he has forgiven us, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again and that he lives his life through us. Us in Christ, Christ in us. And not to miss, amidst all that's going on, the big picture of the love of Christ. So he's talking about the weak and the strong. And the reality is, is that the young church in Rome at this time was really ripe for division over these issues that they were struggling with. And, And a lot of that, as we've seen in our lives as followers of Christ and in this church and and any church that you kind of partake in, is that there will always be issues that we wrestle with amongst each other and that, again, are the taboos, if we want to call them that. We deal with alcohol as we look at each other and some of us as followers of Christ enjoy beer and wine with dinner or just enjoy that to have time together. Some of us really struggle with that. That's going on to this day uh, in the body. What type of movies or media we watch, how that plays out. And uh, I was just, uh, there was a wonderful, by the way, just a wonderful time of fellowship together with the children's ministry uh, on Friday night. And uh, one of the couples I was sitting with, we were just talking about uh, media and how hard it is to you know, again, to even get any type of movie that just really doesn't uh, do some damage to us. Uh, there's just so many images that are put out there. Really trying to be wise in that. And at the same time, uh, amazing how critical we are of each other if we watch certain movies um, and the choices that we make of doing that. And so really that, that wrestling that goes on and also our view of each other and what we choose as followers of Christ, and what we want to watch or what we choose that we don't want to watch. And we weigh on each other on that. Smoking is still an issue that's out there, that we look upon each other and, oh, boy, they smoke. 
And it often comes a time, what, what we end up doing, I think, is we end up going, we end up going, well, if they do these certain habits, then it really is a measure of their spirituality, of their Christianity. And I think that's what what's Paul's really getting at for us. He's going, are we looking at one another and thinking that for some reason they are not really following Christ because they choose to maybe enter into these areas or they choose not to. A judgment upon one another. The, in the spiritual life, in, if you think about this church, we've, we've wrestled over the years with uh, women and spiritual roles. Adrienne is our worship leader. Boy, when we chose to bring her in as the music leader of worship, boy, it ruffled some feathers. It really did. I even had a guy one day, uh, he grabbed me out in the hallway and just like, how in the world could you do this? What do you think you're doing? This is just so ungodly and unbiblical. And I go, well, we don't believe it's unbiblical. We value women. We value their giftedness. We value Adrienne. We are so blessed to have her lead us. We think she is absolutely not only qualified, but amazing in what she does. And he just went on. He was actually a visitor to this church. He wasn't part of this body. And he just lamb blasted me for about a half hour just about how just wrong this was. I said, well, if that's your conviction, then that's your conviction. But amazing how we go after each other in these areas and the wrestling that can go on in these things. We have issues of baptism, whether or not we were fully dunked or not, how long you were held under. I just heard, was it about you, Steve, who held under? (laughs) I heard a story about Steve's first first baptism where the guy actually wanted him to hold him under the water a little bit longer uh, because he wanted to just experience the baptism. And uh, apparently it was quite a long time. And and I I think it was here, wasn't it, Steve? I I missed it. But apparently a lot of people in the body were getting a little worried about Steve's... uh, Love for this person. And uh, I just thought that was a great story. <laughs> so that guy was fully baptized. That was a real deal. We, we have issues. Uh, this is a huge issue, I think, as we, we struggle with each other sometimes. And a lot of it is how we raise our children. Boy, we watch each other and what we're doing with our kids and how we think we have a better way especially if our kids do some silly things, which they do because they're kids. And we look at each other, and we, we may not say it, but we think it. They need to get their act together spiritually. What's going on in the family? We have issues of politics and who we should vote for and stickers that we put on our cars, and we struggle amidst with one another in those issues. And I think one of the biggest issues of all that is facing us in the body of Christ is the, the decision between PC or Macintosh. <laughs> and I guess all I'll offer on that is that this church uses nothing but Macintosh. So you can weigh out the spiritual calling on that. Now what Paul is getting at, he's going, man, instead of love... 
we are arguing and we are really becoming divided in the things that truly are unessential. No, really, they're unessential. And we make them essential. And he's saying, get over it. You're doing great damage in this body. Not only that, you're doing great damage in the community that you're in. People are watching you as you guys are tearing each other apart as we do this to one another. And they go, why would I want to be any part of that community? Amazing how we wound each other deeply in these things. And Paul is calling us to love. And so here's what he says. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment in disputable matters. And this idea of accept him is, is really, it's this beautiful idea of, of bringing one in from the outside, that you're disconnected, and welcoming, welcoming them into your home. And as you know, in the culture, to, to, to welcome someone into the home and to dine with them, to partake in a meal, is, is to have incredible fellowship together. It means that we are bound together. And the thing that you're going to see over and over again in chapter 14 is he keeps saying, this person is your brother. This person is also a follower of Jesus Christ. We can't miss that in the middle of it. And so he's saying, I want you to, to love and to reach out and to accept them. Accept them in, not just, not just put up with them. You know? That we just kind of get along okay, I guess. He's saying, I want you to welcome them in with a wonderful hand of fellowship. I want you to bring them into your home. I want you to love them with the power of the Spirit in your heart that you'd ask the Lord, Lord, help me to love this person, that you know what? There are certain issues we just don't agree on. But Father, because that person is a brother or sister, help me to love that person, and, and not only, again, just to put up with them, but actually to have sweet fellowship. Because your spirit can do that. That's what's true. Your spirit can do that in my life. Don't <clears throat> reject or ignore don't treat them as though they were a lower class. As though they didn't matter. So as they had no value. And what he's calling us to do is, is, is to bring them in. And he says, he says don't bring them in. With, don't pass uh, judgment on disputable matters. He's saying, don't bring them in just so, just so you can you know, enter into dispute and really get them set straight. Come on into the house and let's talk about these things. Let's try to fix one another. Say, don't do that. Just bring them in. Open your arms of love to them. Because they are followers of me. They are ones who love me. Accept them. Welcome them in. Don't again pass judgment. It really again has that idea of we, are, we think we're just better. We think we have more than they do. The reason we do that is because it's just how Christ looks at us, isn't it? And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, welcomed us in, full of grace, loved us, brought us in, took us in his arms. We can call him Abba. He says, I want you to do that. 
You know what's wonderful about this passage again is that he's going, I want you to enter into this relationship. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another one whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. But I want you to bring them in. I want you to enjoy. I don't want you to pass judgment upon who they are. And it's, it's on disputable matters. And I don't want you to miss this point, which is this. It's not on issues that are clear in Scripture. Scripture says, listen, I don't want you to, remember we looked at last week, I don't want you to murder, I don't want you to, to kill, I don't want you to enter into adultery. These are things that are not disputable. These are commands of God. And so he's calling us in life with one another that we would enter into each other's lives and help each other live in righteousness, right? But we don't do that with a judgmental eye, with, I'm better than you, so I better tell you what's right. We do it because we all need the grace of God, and we all need to help each other stand. And so he calls us into that. So the issues, again, are things which, the issues are things which the Bible doesn't speak clearly to. And you know what's interesting to me as you read this whole section? Is that Paul never goes, and this is the right way. You better choose this way. He doesn't settle the dispute. Do you see that? Meaning, I'm not here to tell you that this is the way you should go. It's what's going to become a conviction on your heart through the Holy Spirit. If you really feel that alcohol is not what God wants you to do, then so be it. That's between you and the Lord. If your brother likes wine with dinner, so be it. That's between him and the Lord. These are not issues where God is saying, do not do this. You know what God says? God says, I don't want you to be drunk on wine. That's what he says. That's all we have. And so as followers of Christ, we say, I, don't, I want to be clear-minded. Remember, be clear-minded so what? So that you can pray. So you can be in a relationship with Christ. And so he wants us to have life that, again, doesn't judge one another based on these things that are disputable matters. You know, Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, and I love this. This is out of Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2.14. He goes, listen, I want you to enter into their lives. <clears throat> Keep reminding them of the truths of these things. I want you to warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who are listening. It's of no value and ruins those who are listening. So here's young Timothy ministering in Ephesus. Paul's writing to him and to those who are ministering. He's like, stop arguing over meaningless words. You're basically, you're entering into debate just to, just to debate. You want to win the argument. You want to prove your point. And what Paul's getting on Timothy about and those ministering is like, knock it off. You know, I have... I, Maybe you guys have had these, these folks come to your door. There's a group out there that comes, and they are really big into you being baptized. And they've come several times to my home. And they want to, they want to get into a, basically a, a verbal battle uh, about whether or not we should be baptized. Because if we're not baptized, then we, we truly aren't saved, is what they're getting at. The reality of these folks is they are followers of Jesus Christ. They have a different perspective than I do on baptism. 
But they come in with, this, with, a, with an attitude uh, of trying to, again, battle this out. And so last time they came, I, just, I basically broke out this passage. I said, you know what? I don't think we're called to argue over these meaningless words. I go, do you love Jesus Christ? They go, yeah, we do. I go, amen. God bless you guys. I'm not going to spend my Saturday arguing about baptism with you. Because it does nobody any good, is what Timothy says. It does nobody any good. It doesn't win anybody over. This is why, you know, we have a lot of Mormon friends in this community. This is why we don't go to battle like that with them. Try to prove ourselves that we've got the figured out and you're doing it wrong or vice versa. Doesn't do anybody any good. What does good? Agape love. That we enter into their lives, that we care about who they are. We care about their lives like Christ does. That's what changes hearts. And so we have lots of friends who have truly come to know Jesus Christ. That he's not just shown us the way to salvation, but that he is salvation. That we don't have to continue to do the works. That we live under grace. Again, not the matters that are plain in Scripture, but the matters that are disputable. He's like, let's enter into each other's lives. And so, but Paul does a couple things here, which is interesting to me. He says this, and, and he actually points out, he points out, he says, there was a liberal viewpoint that said uh, eating meat was fine. It was an okay thing. There was a stricter viewpoint that said eating meat was something that just wasn't where we were at. It wasn't good. And so that's kind of the big argument that's going on. And again, it's, it's open to spiritual conviction going on. And so when it talks about who are the weak and who are the strong, I think inquiring minds want to know. So let's figure it out. He says this. Basically, the, the, the liberal group the, the ones who have the license, the freedom to eat meat, they are called the strong in this passage. Okay? The, the group that has a, a, maybe a narrower perspective, a perspective that holds them back from that, the, in this particular case, the vegetarians, they are called the weak. And so you go, well, why? What's he getting at? And I want to tell you something, if you have the NIV, I, I don't think the NIV does the best job in, in this translation of what it looks like. The NIV says, accept him whose faith is weak. And that's not, really, that's not really the proper translation. It really says, accept him, the one who is weak in the faith. Weak in the faith. So it's not an issue of a brother or sister who doesn't love Christ and doesn't have a a strong faith, it's actually a doctrinal issue. The issue is, is that they don't, they don't, in their new life in Christ, they haven't come to understand the freedom that comes from being in Christ. They haven't understood the Scripture and they haven't understood this new relationship with the Lord and what it means to be able to live in freedom and live in Christ. Again, it's not about their maturity it's about their understanding at the point of, of their scripture. And Paul is pointing out that, that as they learn and they, they look into the scriptures, they'll see more and more 
that Christ has called us to be free. Remember what John 8 says? The Jews had believed in him, and Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And then what does the truth do? It sets you free. To live the life in Christ, to not be bound up by all the legalism that goes on, that you've been trained up. The Jews were bound by legalism. The law, the keeping of it. And he's saying they are weak in the faith and the understanding of what it means to be free in Christ. Okay? So we don't go around saying, you're weak and I'm strong and vice versa. It's just where they're at in their understanding of Scripture. William Barclay, I think, had some good things to say about this passage. He said, the one who is weak is weak for a couple reasons. He's not yet discovered the meaning of Christian freedom. He is at heart still a legalist. He sees Christianity as a thing of rules and regulations. His whole aim is to govern his life by a series of laws and observances. He is indeed frightened of Christian freedom and Christian liberty. He doesn't know what to do with it. He says the other thing that he sees is they have not yet been liberated from the belief of the efficacy of works. In his heart, he believes that he can gain God's favor by doing certain things and abstaining from doing others. And basically, he's still trying to earn a right relationship with God. He has not yet accepted the way of grace. He's still thinking of what he can do for God more than what God has done for him. And so missing the freedom that Christ has brought about. Does that make sense on what's going on? Because it's really, again, this wonderful idea of, listen, you're called as a community to love. You're called to enter into each other's lives. There's these things that are binding you guys up where you're you're not loving each other and you're stuck on these areas of whether or not to eat meat or whether or not to, to celebrate certain days and you're really getting after each other on these things. And we're called to accept one another. Bring in the fellowship. Recognize who we are. Recognize this, though, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ first. You know, I went to, uh, I went to the Newsboys last night, the concert. How many of you went to that last night? Some of you there? Yeah, did you have a good time? I saw a bunch of people there. I think that's why they're not here this morning. They usually come first. It was a late, fun concert. And the way that they wrapped up with, uh, with the Newsboys is uh, they have this song, I am free. I'm free to dance. I'm free to run. I'm free. I'm free. And everybody was just up and, and dancing. And, and, you know, again, there's certain songs this morning where we get a little stiff. It's okay to move a little bit sometimes. Brian and the group brought, I think, some great, you know, songs that just have some life to them, some energy. And again, it's okay. It's where we're at, you know, as a church body, and we got a mix of people in this group. Some people love to move around. Some people like to be still. Some people want to sit. Some people want to stand. That's okay. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're not going to judge each other. We're not going to try to figure out their spirituality You know, if Richie's up here shaking it a little bit, 
Does that say who I am in Christ? I'm free to dance. I'm free to run. I'm free in Christ. It's just a great reminder and just to be able to celebrate that in song of who we are in the Lord. He's freed us from the bondage of sin. He's freed us from trying to keep all the rules. He's given us life in Him. I'm free. Yet we keep wanting to hold on to these unessentials. And for both the weak and the strong, I think what happens is, is there's an opportunity for the sin of division to come in. There's an opportunity for both sides to, to really damage each other if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and allow us to love one another. It says for the strong, it says, listen, I don't want you to look down on the weak. I don't want you to look down upon who they are and what's going on in their lives. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. I think there's some good counsel there. The man who eats everything shouldn't look down in general because you might get a little of that going on. Don't want to see that going on. (laughs) Don't look down. Because you're eating everything. That was a dumb joke. I don't know. I threw that in there. Just came to me. You know, it has a uh, it has a powerful meaning. It's not to to push out. Don't push them out. Don't exclude them. And the stronger meaning is that we would get to a place where we would despise them. That we would have contempt for them. And that's really what can happen as we pass judgment, if we think somehow that we've got it figured out and others do not. Don't push them out. We give them no value. We take no account of them. And so Herod with his soldiers, after treating Jesus with contempt, despising him and mocking him, They dressed him in a gorgeous robe and they sent him back to Pilate. It's the same word, the same idea. You're of no value. We despise you. He's saying, so those who are free in Christ, those who can eat meat, don't push out those who maybe struggle with that. They have a conviction that that's not where they're at. And then he says, for the vegetarians, those who are the ones that are called weak in this passage. The ones who choose not to eat meat. He says, listen, weak do not condemn those who eat everything. Condemning has this idea of, and I will be judge and jury. We'll come into a courtroom and we will prove who is right and wrong. if you have some strong convictions that really lead you to a place where, again, you know what, I I don't do alcohol. That's just where God has me. Listen, I don't watch these certain TV shows because it's just not where I want to be. But yet some other families do. Say, let's not be ones that are going after each other and, and saying, ah, you are wrong in this. 
You need to get it right. You need to watch only these certain shows. You need to raise your kids. There's a whole book on raising, raising children God's way. I'm like, really? Really? You figured it out, I guess, this book. You know what? In every book, right, you can glean certain things. But what happens is, out of that book, to be real honest, became these groups that were like, are you raising children God's way? And I went, boy, I sure hope so. I love the Lord, and we're trying to teach our children about the Lord. That's about what I know. But basically what they were saying is, and are you doing it like the book? Man, we get on each other. You know? And I know some of you experienced some of that. They say, don't condemn. Don't bring them before judge and jury. Don't think those... And again, the, the, the vegetarians were the ones who had some real conservative, I guess if you want to call it that way, they had some real doctrinal issues where they were just like, can't do it. They said, okay, if you can't do it, fine, but don't bring it on others. Don't condemn others. I don't want you to be the one to drool them, but I want you to, I want you to accept them, to take you in. And he says, I don't want you to do this because guess what? It is not your responsibility. And that's the truth, folks. Who are we to judge another master's servant? Who in the world do we think we are to be the ones to to bring in the absolute law and the rules to someone else's servant? And what he's saying that is that these children of God don't belong to you to make the call. They belong to me, Jesus. They're my servants. I'm the one who will judge them. I'm the one who will be able to make them rise or fall. I am the one who has authority over them. Don't you think for a second that you are the one who went and paid the price on the cross, who died for your sin, who rose again? I'm the only one, Jesus says. I'm it. I'm the one who has authority over that person. I know their hearts. I know who they are. And so don't be the one to think that you can judge over another man's servant. It's not your place. And I really mean that. Again, not on issues where the Scriptures are clear, okay? But on issues that are unessentials. He's saying stop trying to spend all your time figuring out how to fix that person. Because God's doing that work. Remember the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is alive and active, and He is, then guess what? He's doing that work in our lives. And we've got to believe that about each other. And I think that's one of the calls. We've got to believe about each other that, that the Lord is doing His work in us. We've got to believe about each other that we have a conviction of obedience to the Lord. We've got to believe that that God, remember, He who began the good work is going to complete it. God's doing His work in our lives. And so He calls us again to, to not be judge over. Don't try to be master over. If you consider one day more sacred than another, verse 5, another man considers each day alike. It doesn't matter. If, if, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you want to worship on Saturday, so be it. It's fine. We worship on Sunday in the evangelical church because we, we, 
We tie it in with the resurrection, the first day of the week. It's the life of Christ, and so we chose Sunday, the day he rose. Okay. If you want to worship on Wednesday or Tuesday, if you want to say every day is a day unto the Lord, that's great. He's saying in all these things, look at this, verse 6, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat, he eats and gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord, he gives thanks. For none of us lives to ourselves alone and dies to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to God. And truly what he's saying is this. And I mean, if on a hot summer day you have a beer, you say, Lord, thank you for this refreshment. Thank you. If the person over here has a Coca-Cola, and we say thank you. And together, in harmony, we are united in Christ. Honestly, that's what it looks like. Those are just some of the unessentials, the things we could do battle over and miss the joy of relationship with each other and struggle. But then he says, listen, I don't want you to live out your Christian freedom that you would be a stumbling block, that you would throw something in your brother's way that would really damage them. And here's the big point that I don't want you to miss. Stumbling block really has this idea of something that is, that is uh, put in front of you that causes you to trip over. And then the word scandalon, which is that you would put something, an obstacle in your brother's way. And it's, it has the idea of, you know, the little stick that holds up the trap? It has the idea that you become one who trips up that stick. You know, you're the one who causes that stick to move over. And then the brother is now ensnared in the trap. And what he's saying is, in our freedoms in Christ, let us not be ones to each other that we are actually at a place where we're leading our brothers or sisters to be drawn into sin. It's an intentional, it's an intentional disregard for the spiritual life of our brother or sister. Do you hear that? It's intentionally going, I just don't care, Ken. You know, if you struggle with alcohol, well, get over it. Let's go to the bar together and, and you'll be fine. It really looks like that. It's like, I don't care where you've been on your journey. I'm free in Christ. So you've got to just hang with it and deal with it. They said, oh, don't do that. Don't take your freedom and make what is good become evil. And as people look upon it, they go, wow, that's not the love of Christ. He says it's wrong. Woe to you if you lead one of these little ones astray. It's better you have a millstone tied around your neck. That we are very careful with each other. If you're free in Christ, great. If you have conviction before the Lord not to hold on, fine. They say, don't take advantage, especially those who are freer in Christ, to, to just think that everybody can come along. It's not loving each other. And that's the context, right? Agape loving one another. How do we love each other better? We care for where they're at. It's worthwhile just to say, you know what? Hey, you've had an issue with alcohol? I don't, I don't need to touch it. It's not a big deal. The kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you drink. Don't make an argument over it. 
Let's love each other in a way that says, hey, man, I value where you're at. I don't need to do it. Let it go. And that we yield to one another in Christ. And that's how peace comes about, that we yield to each other. We're going to get in next week into chapter 15, the beginning, and it's going to talk about unity in the Spirit. And about I'm going to talk a little more about towards the end of this chapter about what it looks like to be in peace together and have unity with each other. But one of the things that this passage again reminds us of is that, that Christ, again, is the one who has died. For this very reason, verse 9, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. And so we get to take communion this morning as a reminder of it's Christ who died. And he is the Lord of all of us. And, and part of the, the joy of the celebration of communion is that we get to enter into each other's lives. We get to enter before the Lord and say, Lord, man, you, you took me in. You accepted me just as I am. Brothers, come on up and we'll, uh, I'll just share this. You accepted me as I am and you received me into your home. And Father, you are the one who is the only one who looks at my heart. And you know what's beautiful about communion is that we get the opportunity as, John, as God is the one who, who again knows our heart, he says in the song we sing, we're washed, we are clean, we're washed. The judgment here where every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, we get to stand before God, every one of us, we'll kneel before God, trust me. And he'll acknowledge us in our life in Christ. We'll be refined by fire but it's because of his death and his resurrection that we will be able to be in the presence of Christ in eternity. Because of his acceptance, his amazing love in us. So let's take communion together and remember what he's done for us that we might offer that to each other.